15 of Mark, uh, chapter 15, page 122. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They had put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. <clears throat> there is a famous painting by the, uh, the artist Holman Hunt uh, called The Shadow of the Cross. And the painting is of Jesus as a, a young man stripped to the waist in his father Joseph's workshop. And it's late in the evening and the sun is now uh, beaming through the door. And Jesus, at the end of the day, has his, his arms stretched out after a hard day's work. And the workbench and his outstretched arms cast a, a shadow on the wall behind him. And the focus of this painting and the shadow is in the form of a cross and Jesus crucified on it. It's actually a very significant piece of art in that, theologically, it depicts something which is very true. That is, that the work of Jesus Christ was not only accomplished on the cross, but was in fact a work which began from the moment of his conception. Jesus' whole life was lived in the shadow of the cross. The goal of Jesus' life and ministry was the cross. He was born to die on a cross. He was destined to be the crucified king for the salvation of his people. And I want to begin this evening with the heading, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. We read in verse 15 that Pilate was wanting to satisfy the crowd and so he released uh, for them Barabbas, a murderer. This was the custom. At this time of year, a prisoner could be released of whom they chose. And they chose Barabbas. And having uh, flogged Jesus, he then delivers Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate had Jesus flogged. Mark just uses one word, flogged, we read here. One word, flogged. And because his readers knew what that meant, they didn't have to have it spelled out to them. They knew what a Roman uh, flogging was and what it the, the savagery of it. They had witnessed it uh, firsthand, perhaps, and perhaps some of them uh, experienced it for themselves. Many people died from the flogging alone before they even were ever put on a cross. So severe was uh, the, the flogging. They used a, a whip that had several throngs, and these throngs were uh, plated with pieces of bone and lead. And uh, Eusebius... <laughs> Ancient historian speaks of those who were flogged, and he says they were torn by scourges down to deep-seated veins and arteries 
so that the hidden contents of the recesses of their bodies, their entrails and organs were exposed to light. Savage. Absolutely savage. And I think at this point we perhaps remember the words of the prophet Isaiah who spoke hundreds of years before Jesus would uh, go on the cross. In Isaiah 52 verse 14 he, we, we have these words speaking of the Messiah, speaking of the Savior, Jesus Christ. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Now after they had flogged Jesus, the Roman soldiers want to have some fun with Jesus. Jesus had confessed to being a king. Uh, the high priest put him on oath. Swear to us. I put you on oath now. Tell us, are you the son of God? Are you the son of the blessed one? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, yes, it is. As you see. So the Roman soldiers mockingly just address Jesus like a king. They put a, a purple robe on him the color of royalty. They push down a crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus stands there in great agony with a blood-soaked purple robe round him and blood pouring down his brow. And the soldiers begin to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! And they kneel before him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they would crack him on the head with a reed and spit in his face. Hail, King of the Jews, they would say to Jesus. But you know what is ironic here? Is that while they are actually kneeling down and saluting him and mocking him as a kind of comic king, there is truth in all of it. They're mocking him as a comic king, but the reality is he is a king. The one... Uh, they are hitting and mocking is not just any king, but he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And if you like, they're, they're true lies. While they make fun of him as a comic king, they have dressed up. He is actually the king of kings, veiled in a human body. In Isaiah uh, chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he is in that vision is wearing a, a, a robe that fills the entire temple, symbolizing his majesty, his grandeur, his uh, absolute brilliance and excellence and worth. Revelation chapter uh, uh, 19 and verse 12 tells us that on the head of Jesus are many diadems. There are many crowns. Again, emphasizing his his brilliance, that he stands high and above and exalted over everything and anyone in all of creation. He is the creator. He is the king of kings. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, we're told that he has a golden crown on his head. And the one they're spitting at and hitting and mocking is the very son of God, the very king of glory. The one they are scornfully 
bowing before and hailing sarcastically as the king of the Jews is the one who has the name above every name. The one to whom the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess is Lord. Jesus has given the name Lord. God. He is the one whom the Bible speaks about who will come in the clouds with great glory and many will wail greatly on that day. For Psalm 2 uh, in the Old Testament explains that God, if you read the psalm, has set up his, his, his son as king. God has set up King Jesus Christ on Zion Hill. And the psalm tells us that he will break his enemies with an iron rod and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And so the psalm warns us and urges us to submit to this great king who will distribute the rod to every sinner in an act of final judgment and justice. We read these words in Psalm 2, verse 10 to 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. But I want you to look at the king now in this passage. We see this glorious king, but look at him now in this passage as you find it. Beaten, bloody, half dead, for your sake, my sake, not his own. For yours and mine. He is only there because you and I have a debt before God that needs to be settled. A debt of sin. And I want you to behold the love of God for you. In allowing his son, his beloved son, his precious son, his only son, to go through this. To experience this. Do you know, I I wonder what is going on in the heart of the father when he sees the son in his state. And I want you also to see the love of Jesus who would go through this, who would experience this, who would take this on himself for us. Do you see it, friend? Do you see beyond these things? And do you see the reality of what God has done. Because we can read these things and just go over them like anything and just... So, do you see, can you see tonight what Jesus has done for you? It is one thing for a man to die for a friend, but it's an entirely different thing for someone to die for his enemies. And that's what Jesus did. He died for his enemies. He didn't wait for me to love him and serve him. Then said, oh, I'll die for your sins now. It's why I hated him. While I mocked him. While I lived my life in great disregard for him. He died. Jesus Christ died for sinners. For God-haters. For God-mockers. 
for blasphemers, for persecutors, and every kind of sin that can ever be named or committed. And you see, you see him in this passage, and and he's wearing a crown of thorns on his head. They've stuck a crown of thorns on his head. And you know, friends, it's, it's a symbol of the curse, isn't it? It's a symbol of the curse on his head. What was one of the things that God said to Adam after they sinned? The ground would produce thorns. It's a symbol of the curse on his head. He is wearing the curse. He's bearing the curse of God that's upon, meant for us. He's taken it upon his own head. Can't you see his love? Can't you see what he's done? How can you not embrace his salvation? He did this to save us. He did this to save sinners. And any one of us here tonight, if we don't know Jesus, can be saved. Any one of us can know this Jesus tonight by giving our life to him in faith, trusting in him. And I would urge you, friend, if that's you, not to put it off any longer. You know, this is my first time in this church, but I've been to London a number of times over the years. My brother used to work for the London City Mission. He spent 18 years working uh, in the London City Mission based in King's Cross. He came up to Inverness recently to work in a church up there. And after nine months of being up there, he died. Died earlier on this year, in January. Would have been 46 this year. We think we've got all the time in the world, but we don't. And that's reality. I'm young, I'm fit, I'm healthy, I've got all the time in the world. None of us knows when that time will come for us. But you know, the important thing is, my brother was ready. He was trusting in Jesus. And although it's painful for me, even today, to, to look around, going around London these last few days, because we used to, I remember here going through the last 18 years with him in London, different places, and ministering. And although it's painful, I know what he is. I know what he is, and I know I'll see him again. But my question for you, friend, is because it's brought an urgency to my own soul, that you can't put these things off. You just think, well, you know, I've got time tomorrow to do it. I'll leave it till I'm old. I'll leave it to my deathbed. How do you know you have a deathbed conversion? We just don't know. And and you know that, and I know that. It's a fact of life. We just don't know when our time will come to an end. But the question is, are you ready? Are you trusting in this Jesus? Because what you do with him now counts what happens to you in the future. You see, he's wearing a crown of thorns now. He's bearing that curse for our sins. But look at your king, the king again here. He's been mocked, he's been ridiculed, he's been insulted, and he stands there and pouring in blood. He stands there, he takes it. He doesn't say a word, he takes it. He's willing to go through this mocking, this humiliation, this disgrace for your sake and for my sake. And he doesn't turn his back on it. We saw that this morning where the temptation was to turn his back on this and go some other way. But he went forward. He doesn't turn his back. He goes through the humiliation and the shame and the the, the beating. 
and the wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says that Jesus Christ was not ashamed to call us brothers. Are you ashamed to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and to follow him? He wasn't ashamed to be publicly executed, stripped naked and humiliated to save sinners. Are you embarrassed by this Jesus when you're amongst your friends? Do you keep your mouth closed because you're ashamed of him? Because he's not cool to, to talk about amongst your friends. Are you trying to follow him in the shadows? You know, I come to church, but you know, through the week, I, do, I kind of live a life that wouldn't really, they wouldn't know I followed Jesus. I don't know. Were you saying, I know I'd like to, to follow this man, Jesus, but what will my friends say about it? What will they say to me if I follow Jesus? Are you ashamed to follow Jesus? Jesus was not ashamed to die on the cross for sinners. He was mocked for your sake and for my sake. Will we not be prepared to be mocked for his sake? Will we not be prepared to come, become like fools in the eyes of the world to follow this man? this Savior? Are we ready to confess him before men that he will confess us before his Father in heaven? Your king was made to look like a fool for your sake. Will we not become, be prepared to become like a fool in the eyes of this world to follow this king? Friend, I tell you, nail your colors to the mast. Nail them to the mast. But second heading, and it's the only, it's the final heading I have, is, is, is save yourself, King of Israel. Hail, King of the Jews, and save yourself, King of Israel. You see, after the Romans had their fun with Jesus, they strip him naked and, and lead him out for crucifixion. But as a result of his physical weakness due to the the blood loss, no doubt, until the whole experience, Jesus is physically unable to carry his, this wooden crossbeam himself. And so they, they grab this man who's called Simon of Cyrene, uh, north coast of Africa somewhere, uh, and he's forced to, to carry this cross for Jesus. Friends, Simon was forced, he was made by the Roman soldiers to carry this cross for Jesus. But you know what, friends? Jesus asks us to willingly carry a cross for him, to willingly suffer, to willingly die for him in in this life, to live for him. He asks us to willingly do it. Simon was forced to do it, but Jesus says, will you willingly follow me? Do you believe in me? Then follow me, take up your cross and follow me. The fact that um, Mark mentions the names of Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus, implies that his readers uh, know Alexander and they know Rufus, but perhaps not Simon. Romans 16 verse 13 speaks of a Rufus as a member of the church in Rome, and he is probably the Rufus mentioned here. 
Thus, it is highly probable that Simon himself became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he also carried the cross spiritually as well as physically. Anyway, they eventually arrive at the place called Golgotha, which means a place of a skull, suggesting the appearance of um, a bare rock. And it's there that they offer Jesus uh, wine mixed with myrrh. This is basically an anesthetic to sedate Jesus. And tradition suggests that the women of Jerusalem offered this to Jesus as an act of mercy. Luke 23, verse 28. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. But anyway, whether it was them or not, uh, Jesus refuses it. He wants to have a clear head. He is determined to face everything in full and without aid. And then Mark states, they crucified him. Again, Mark does not elaborate on this because he knows his readers know what crucifixion meant. It was a slow and painful execution in which the victim is nailed to a large wooden beam and left to hang for several days until eventual death from exhaustion and asphyxiation. They crucified Jesus at the third hour. That's nine o'clock in the morning. And here, Jesus is naked, hanging on a cross, for all eyes to, to see. Here he is hated and alone. Above his head is a sign which reads the King of the Jews. And at his feet are some soldiers, and they're casting lots. We think about this in Psalm 22. They're casting lots to see who get his clothes. Although it's callous and cold, it is a reminder that the hand of God is still involved in this, in this barbaric and evil act. Hundreds of years before we read in Psalm 22, verses 17 to 18, I count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Prophetic words that speak of a terrible act that would happen to the Son of God for the sake of sinners. And even on the cross here, there is no mercy for Jesus. No mercy for him. In the film uh, Braveheart, the crowd shout out for mercy for Mel Gibson, who acts as William Wallace who has been disemboweled. But there's no one shouting for mercy for Jesus. Instead, they, they continue to, to mock him. And even those who are, who are crucified, the, the two robbers, they, they mock him as well, although one has a change of heart and comes to faith. And the scribes and the chief priests, they're mocking him too. They snigger and say, he saved others. But he can't save himself. What king is this? What savior is that? Look at him. Look at the state of him. This is the one you believe is going to save you? They shout, let the Christ, the king of Israel, verse 32, 
Come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Hey, Jesus, come down. And, and you know, if you come down, we're really going to follow you now. We'll really believe you. That we may see and believe. It's a picture of hatred. It's a picture of mockery and unbelief and hardness of the human heart. This is the human heart exposed before God. This is the heart of people whom Jesus came to save. This is our hearts. Come down, Jesus, then we'll believe you, they say. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. They already saw him do many miracles. He did many miracles. John in his gospel says, there's not enough room to write down everything that Jesus did. They saw loads of miracles. They're not going to believe. They don't want to be convinced. They don't want to believe. You see, they already said he saved others. You know, he's done, he's raised the dead. He's given the sight, the blind are sight back. He's, he's done many things. They've seen the miracles, but they don't want to believe it. You know, some people say, I will believe in Jesus if he does this and he does that and he proves himself. Friend, Jesus has done all the miracles that we need to believe. I believe Jesus can do miracles today. I believe he still does. But I'm telling you, the Bible gives us every miracle we need to believe. Look at what Jesus has done, friend. Examine it. Listen to what he has said. Test it. Examine it. Scrutinize it. All you want, look into it with honest heart. It's not the lack of evidence that's the problem. The problem is that many people don't want to believe. They don't want to follow Jesus. And my question, friend, how about you? Do you want to follow this Jesus? Do you want to believe in this Jesus? Save yourself, they say. Well, he was already tempted to do that in the garden, wasn't he? We looked at that this morning. He was tempted to walk away from the cross, but he overcame that temptation, and he set his face towards the cross. And they sarcastically call out to Jesus to do something to save himself if he truly is the king. But you know, friend, what they fail to see in their unbelief and hardness of heart is that as the king, he is doing something. He is doing something. But it's not to save himself. But it's to save sinners. He is dying for the sin of mockers, unbelievers, those who know who he is but reject him and every kind of sinner there can be. And if he came down from that cross, the thief on that cross would not have heard these words from Jesus. Today you will be in paradise with me. No one would be saved. There would be no salvation for anyone if he came down off that cross. The fact is that Jesus is dying on the cross is for them who are mocking a confirmation that he is not the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and so on. 
But the words of Isaiah the prophet in verse 4 tell us, chapter 53, verse 4, speaking of Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Friends, ironically, the cross is God's affirmation that Jesus is the Savior of all. He is the suffering servant king of whom the prophets spoke who would suffer and die to redeem a people to God. He is the crucified king. He, he makes even the cross his throne. He reigns even from cross in saving power. And that's why he cries out in triumph when he dies. It is finished. It's completed. Salvation is done. They see Jesus as a helpless sinner. Jesus is not helpless. He is obedient. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He has to die to save others. He is procuring procuring a great victory which no one else can save. He is reigning even from the cross as a king to save the people. Who do you see in the cross tonight? Who do you see in the cross? Do you see a charlatan? Or do you see the king of kings crucified for the sins of his people? And if you see a king... Will you walk away from him tonight? Or will you bow before him and give him your heart and your life? Let's pray.